Welcome to What the Foster, a podcast dedicated to giving a voice to the voiceless. This season, we're focusing on the often unheard and invisible population of youth currently or formerly in foster care. With all the misconceptions about foster care out there, we think these stories will shed some light on what it really means to spend time in the system. What the Foster is produced by Umbrella, a New Jersey foster care nonprofit, and I'm Rachel Turan. This week, we're talking about Shukri and Ananda's inspiration to further their education, their future goals, and how these goals have been shaped by their experiences in care. Last we heard from Shukri, he sat on the couch with his daughter and was inspired to make sure he went to college. At first, I was going to go to school for nursing and cosmetology. I wanted to do both. At the time, I didn't know how I was going to pay for college. I didn't really care. Margie Blickars, the Director of Scholarship Programs here at Umbrella, speaks about how it can be difficult for foster youth to know what grants and scholarships they are eligible for. To be eligible for assistance through various programs, youth must acknowledge themselves as wards of the court. Question 53 of the FAFSA. And by just hitting yes, now they're eligible for the max amount for Pell, the maximum amount for the supplemental education grant, the max amount of TAG, it's our tuition aid grant. Um, so much funding, they don't realize that they're available just from one question. And unfortunately, if they say, let's say they say no, then we'll, we'll pull it, you know, July, August, September, but by then, a lot of the federal aid's gone already, and then we have to reach out to the school, and there has to be a dependency override. Like, the system is put in place for a reason, but it's very difficult for one person to navigate by themselves to get the aid that they need. Even though there are many funding opportunities for youth, involvement in foster care doesn't guarantee fully funded college tuition, contrary to the popular belief. There's this rumor, I don't know who started it, but I'm gonna find them, and it's the idea that if you have any experience in care through the state of New Jersey's child protection permanency, that you will go to college for free. That is, that's out there. That's not true. That is, you know, being in care for after 13, sure, you could be eligible for a lot more grants, but that does not necessarily mean that it will cover everything. You know, we have some students that that do go to college, quote unquote, for free because they have grants, they have scholarships, they have um, another program, the Educational Opportunity Fund, that's a state-run program, um, but that's because of their eligibility and that's because they submitted all their right documents early enough and on time. One Christmas at Strong Futures, Shakri received a book that changed the way he thought about his future. I started reading this book called The Miseducation of a Negro. It was a book written by Carter G. Wilson. And in reading his book, uh, he mentioned that there wasn't really too many African-American doctors or just, you know, doctors and dentists in general in the urban communities. And uh, I searched it up right after I read it, and I searched it up and it said eight years. And with it saying eight years, I said, oh boy, I don't know if I'm going to do it. But um, I didn't quit. I just, you know, I stuck to it. I started telling people, hey, hey listen, I'm going to school to become a dentist. The staff at Strong Futures provided invaluable support during this time. Being at Strong Features, everyone there believed in me. So when I started saying I was going to school with dentist, Ms. Um, Kathy was coming to me, to me with different schools, and uh, Mr. John was too. He just another staff at Strong Features. They was just very supportive in that way, academically. Ms. Kathy made the way, made sure I took my SATs, which are the prerequisites for you to get into college. You know, like I mentioned earlier, it's the experiences that you go through in life that you know starts to change your demeanor and you know give you a whole new perception on life and being there, strong features and witnessing, you know, 
how Miss Kathy could help you and impact not only me, other people that my other residents that I was in a um, group home with, I still close friends with to this day, you know. Shakri finally received the support that he needed, and it allowed him the opportunity to follow his dreams. But this isn't necessarily the case for many foster youth. Instead of figuring out future plans, many youth in care are worrying about things we take for granted every day, like where will I get my next meal? Where will I sleep tonight? And will I ever get to go home? Again, because they, they may not get the support that they need because they're worrying about what's happening outside of, the, of school, they're not focusing on what's happening in school. So their grades are lower, again, remedial courses or taking courses that aren't for credit or just not having the opportunity to have that conversation of what do I want to do. Right. They're trying to think of where am I going to sleep tonight instead of what do I want to do, what do I want to be when I grow up. Shakri was able to graduate from high school by passing the TASC, or Test Assessing Secondary Completion, exam. There are three high school equivalency tests approved by the United States Department of Education and the New Jersey State Board of Education. These are the GED, the High set and the TASC. To further it, I was in something called a TASC program that's located in Jersey City, New Jersey. It's ran within a school called Hudson County School Technology. This program is basically for teenagers like myself that get off course with the normal four years of high school. And um, being in this program, I took it seriously because I knew I wanted to go to college. I was a sophomore by credits, but senior by age, you know. This program it could take you six months to get your high school diploma. When in high school, it actually take you four years. So going on with that, I passed the program. I get my high school diploma, and then um, two weeks later, after I applied to New Jersey City University, I actually got in. Shakri's life changed dramatically in a span of a few weeks when he got into school. I received a call back from a teacher named Mr. Jakinki, and Mr. Jakinki was offering me a paid internship from within the task program. And during that time, I had just, just got laid off from Popeyes, like literally just got laid off. I got laid off on Monday, I got baptized on Thursday. I went to prom on Friday. I received a call saying that um, I, got, I received my high school diploma. Two weeks later, I applied to New Jersey State University. Two weeks later, I started my um, paid internship with Dr. Howard J. Martin at Urban Medical Center in Jersey City, New Jersey too. On top of all that, Shakri was contacted by the New Jersey Foster Care Scholars Program. NJFC reached out through me going to college and applying to college. You know, I was able to apply for their uh, scholarship program. As a reminder, NJFC Scholars stands for New Jersey Foster Care Scholars. It is a program run by Umbrella where students receive certain amounts of funding and are matched with a mentor, a PACES coach, to help them get through the college process. While Shakri greatly benefited from these external programs, he also emphasizes the importance of his self-education. Miseducation of a Negro by Carter G. Wilson is what actually inspired me to become a dentist. Had I not read that book, I wouldn't be, you know, on my path to becoming a dentist as well, working towards it. And, um, you know, it had to have been God because now I work at a dental clinic. I had an intern and I'm well connected with a lot of doctors and dentists um, in my area. While his self-education has taken him far from where he started, Shakri acknowledged that he wouldn't be here without the support of a strong, supportive adult. Um, yeah, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be half of what I'm doing now, half of who I am now, if it wasn't for Miss Kathy, uh, strong futures, honestly, you know. 
data shows that we all need like one consistent person in our life, you know, whether it's a parent, whether it's a supportive adult, it's mentorship. Shukri hopes that his story inspires others. His goals aren't just for his own benefit, but for that of his community. Um, I have plans to go to school to become a dentist, to eventually give back to my community from which I came from. So I'm doing it more than just for myself. I'm doing it to inspire the youth and future generations. Shukri went from a youth selling drugs and sleeping on the streets to being inspired by his daughter, his potential, and a very important book, to become a dentist. His daughter is still one of his biggest motivations. My daughter's doing good. She's two years old now, uh, 25 months to be, 26 months is October now to be exact. Um, <laughs> my daughter's talking, running, and, and acting crazy. Um, yeah, so my daughter's really a big motivation in my life, you know. And Shagriya had a few words of wisdom for other youth who are in foster care. Uh, the message I would have for not only one kid, but for everyone or anyone that's going through what I'm going through is um, to understand that you're not in it alone. And, you know, certain things happen in life for a reason, for a higher purpose. And that purpose we don't know. But as long as you keep pushing and you keep trying and, you know, you keep picking yourself up and as long as you truly want to change and have good intentions, for everything that you do, uh, I surely promise you that whatever you put your mind to, it, it will come true. It seemed as though, despite his troubled past, Shakri was heading in the right direction. Last we heard from Ananda, she was feeling low about the turn her teenage years had taken. But something shifted when she entered independent living, where she didn't have to constantly answer to caseworkers and other adults. I don't know, I think I had a turning point when I went and I was living with my best friend. Um, I just had a turning point of, I didn't have a caseworker calling me saying like, are you listening to what they're saying? Because it was at a separate apartment. So like I didn't really have to like see her parents and tell them where I was going. I would just come in and out, I had my car. And when I was experiencing like that level of freedom and I was like, I'm responsible. Like I'm going to work and I don't party. So I wasn't out partying or anything. I don't have a lot of friends like that. Um, so once I was experiencing like becoming an adult and going to school and getting my degree and realizing like, like I can do this without like other people. Pace's coach Christina Riley has seen this sort of response from youth in independent living programs before. I love when kids get the opportunity to be, and you have to really earn the opportunity to be in an independent living program because there's very few. Um, so you can't be acting crazy. Um, you have to prove that you can be stable in a lower level of care before they can put you in a higher level of care. Um, they're very selective. But the reality is you have to prove yourself because they are also quick to let you go in ILP programs because there's so many kids fighting to be in these programs. So I think it's a great opportunity when a kid who is constantly trying to show how much control over they have over their lives has the opportunity to show you the same thing. Um, and when they succeed in an independent living program, it's really great because then you know that, you know, this kid, this one's going to be okay. Ananda was going to school while she was in the independent living program. She explains that, for her, going to college was a given, especially since she didn't have any type of home to fall back on. She says there were people who helped encourage her, which helped. I mean, I kind of always knew that, like, I was going to need school to make sure that I would never end up back in a really bad like 
place as an adult. Um, and I had some really good people that I met along the way that made sure I would get there. Well, there was a teacher at Eastside. Um, she was really stern and strict with me and didn't let me get away with things that any other person wouldn't take the time to like deal with and be like, okay, like whatever. Um, and she had told me one time, she was like, you, you got the highest grade, and she was an English teacher in my class and I think in the school. And I was like, okay, cool. At that time, I didn't know like how bad Eastside was in terms of their education. So I was like, oh, that's great. And like she kind of used that to push me to make sure that I got into college, even if it was a community college, even if it was very small steps. I mean, even maybe if I didn't have that support, I probably still would have went because what else am I going to do? Like, what else do I have? I don't have a financial fallback if I don't want to do anything with my life and I just want to live at home, what's home? So, regardless, I was going to go to school. After moving out of her best friend's house, Ananda entered another independent living program where she got her own apartment. At the time of this interview, she had eight months left in the program. On my birthday, like, I have to be physically out of the apartment, but I'm not going to, they're not going to allow me to be homeless, I don't think. <laughs> Homelessness is a real fear for foster youth, with about 25% experiencing homelessness at some point. Ananda thinks she will be okay, but she does worry about her future. Um, I think I'm going to be okay. But it's, it's a lingering thought sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What am I going to do? Am I going to be able to be a normal 21-year-old? Or am I going to have to be like a 50-year-old <laughs> like not spend money and not go out? Pace's coach, Narissa, explains the individual nature of the aging out process. I've seen some that are totally ready for it, that have um, stable jobs and are like they feel good about it. They're ready for, you know, DCPMP to close and for them to kind of move on and move forward and have this like independent almost adult life and I have some that are not ready that aren't ready for it all and then you'll sometimes see them do things they used to do like years ago whether it's you know getting in trouble or you know kind of almost like a sabotaging thing but just basically out of fear like and I understand that you know you don't this is a big change you don't have um, that security blanket of your caseworker in a way um, to kind of help you when things go sideways, like you really are by yourself in a way. The good thing about independent living programs, says Narissa, is that they can really help with developing a plan for once the youth ages out. They'll try to, six months to a year out from their age out, develop a plan for the youth and everything like that. And, and I know I try, and I could probably speak for the other coaches, we try to help with that plan and like, you know, cultivate thinking at least about your, you know, aging out and about that next step, just so then you're not turning 21, everything is gone, and you're saying kind of now what? In the rush to leave a system that has been a constant reminder of the lack of normalcy they have experienced during their developmental years, many youth aren't as prepared as they think they are to be on their own without the help of the state. And unfortunately, many adolescents don't have a plan before they leave care. And for us, like, we do stay on after they close out. Um, so sometimes we will get students that don't really have anything set up, and it's like an oh my god kind of <laughs> moment, like what do I do? And there's only so much we can do. We can try to point them in the right direction and kind of 
support them the best we can um, and try to find like whether it's housing whether it's you know obviously with like jobs and things like that we can help them find that but it, it's it's a scary time and I understand it and just trying to support them the best we can. Another challenge that foster youth face is that they are an invisible population. You know, I think I once called them a quote-unquote invisible population. You don't know about them unless they self-disclose. This can make their journeys feel rather lonely. We asked if any of Ananda's friends knew that she was in foster care. Um, there was a few people that knew um, in Eastside. Now, the friends that I have now don't know. I don't think they would understand. I didn't want them to take that and then look at me and see a completely different picture than who I am, because that's not the definition of me and like who I am and where I come from. Like if I were to say like, oh yeah, like I was in foster care, I bounced from this home to that home, but I have a nice house in Vermont or I have a good family in Vermont and I have family in Florida and I do travel. They wouldn't see certain aspects of who I am and the life that I came from if I just said, yeah, like I'm in foster care and this is how I grew up and I'm in an independent living program and this is not an apartment that I could actually afford without help. It's just their judgment of you is extremely clouded when you tell someone you're in foster care or you were. Maybe I'll reach an age where I don't care, but I can't say that I don't care what people think. The Paces coaches have experienced differing opinions among youth regarding this aspect of their identity. I would say that's more um, prevalent, like not wanting anyone to know. You know, I understand that, you know, the stigma behind it and not wanting anyone to know because maybe that'll make them look at you differently which is sad in itself and breaks my heart like whatever you know they're like oh I don't want them to know. I have students that will tell me like don't send me emails that have anything to do with like events for foster youth because like that's just not me. Christina Riley saw the other side of things. I don't think I've ever come across a kid who's been like ashamed of their involvement. Um, they don't love it and it really all depends on their rapport with their caseworker. Um, I never try and introduce myself to anybody on behalf of a student as somebody that is brought in by the state. I just say like I'm, I'm a mentor, I'm a case manager, I'm a coordinator. Um, and then people try and ask a lot of follow-up questions. Oh, how did you get involved? Do you work for a school? And I'm just like, uh, you know, none of your business at this point. Like, um, so really it all depends on like how private the kid are. I find that a lot of them are very open with people who they feel like can help them. Um, Margie highlights the importance of socialization in college, and this could play a role in Ananda's decision to control certain aspects of her identity. I'm the biggest person to say that college is so much more than the academics. It is 100% the academics, but there's also a big, big, you know, social engagement piece. There's the involvement piece, and there's figuring out who you are, and especially with this population, that's one thing we talk a lot about with Paces is that so much of a story, the story of their lives has been written by other people. A lot of their choices were made for them, and now they're adults uh, in the eyes of, of you know, the state, and we want them to be able to feel comfortable to explore who they are and how they're going to make decisions. Much of Ananda's self-discovery is rooted in artistic creation as well, which extends from her childhood coping mechanisms. I think I held on to things that made me happy in a really dark time for me. In movies, 
made me happy. Like I wasn't looking at my life, I was looking at something else that was good or whatever, or someone else's drama and story. I want to take my experiences one day and make it into something that's understandable for people who haven't been in my shoes. Maybe I can do it through movies, maybe I can do it through my stories, maybe my writing. While Ananda is in a much better place now, having proven herself responsible and capable, we asked Ananda if there was anything she would change if she could go back. The people that I met in the beginning of my journey in foster care that were genuinely there to support me, um, I wish that I hadn't said, like, no, thank you, I don't need your help, I got this. I didn't trust them to make sure that, like, I was going to be okay. Like, I had to do that for myself, and I thought my ways were working. They weren't, obviously. But at that time, I thought, you know, the choices that I was making was going to get me to where I wanted to be. Some of my behaviors in shutting down and shutting people out and doing my own thing didn't always get me in the best place, and I kind of put myself in a bad place. While Ananda turned plenty of people away, she also found support in unexpected places. Well, for me, the support that I had was unexpected. I didn't expect to meet these people where I met them, like my, my teacher and like the counselor. Like, um, I didn't expect to form bonds with certain people that I did. We asked what she would say to other kids in care. For kids, um, definitely keep the supports that are healthy for you and like, genuinely healthy, not healthy because you think like, oh, this is, I'm getting what I want, but that you just need support in foster care. You need true supports that care about you. And not every story has to end up sad or tragic. It's not always the ending. That wraps up Shakri and Ananda's stories. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about Umbrella, visit our website at umbrella.org. That's E-M-B-R-E-L-L-A dot org. Or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at umbrella.nj. Stay tuned. Next week, we'll hear from Stephanie, a former foster youth whose story begins all the way in Germany before she ends up in foster care in the U.S. Here's a preview of her story. And so that kind of... Um started my breakdown of trust with people. Actually, it started with really my stepfather, you know, the whole issue. But that really broke trust for me in humanity or just strangers or people in general. So the shelter where I was at was really a transition home. And so I'm in the shelter with some kids who have, you know, right. spent some time in jail. Next Here's a preview week, we'll hear of from Stephanie's Stephanie. story, a former foster youth whose story begins all the way in Germany.